Welcome to episode 52 of the Search with Canada podcast recorded on Friday the 13th of March 2020. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today we are joined by guest speaker Natalie Mott who is a freelance SEO consultant and trainer, former agency director and she is going to be talking to us about SEO myths and misconceptions. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So Natalie, uh, for, for those of you that aren't aware, was meant to be coming to our Search Norwich kind of SEO meetup event yesterday to essentially do this SEO myths and misconceptions talk as a presentation. And unfortunately, like so many events over the country in the last 48 hours, we did make the decision because of the coronavirus to cancel the event. Uh, Natalie has very, very kindly agreed to come on the podcast and just basically chat us through it. So thank you, Natalie. Um, we were talking just before. So Natalie's someone who I've kind of followed and interacted with on Twitter now for, for absolutely ages. So I'm really excited. This is actually the first time uh, I've spoken to her, which is brilliant. And I've always kind of followed her and looked up to the things she said. She speaks a lot of sense on Twitter because, uh, as, as we know, if you're on SEO Twitter, um, there's a lot of shit on there. <laughs> um, so, Natalie, again, thank you so much for joining us. Do you just want to give us a really quick uh, overview of, of your background before we get going? It would be useful for the people that, that don't know you. Sure. So I've been in the industry now knocking on 12 years, uh, was in-house for a bit, and then most of my career has been agency side. Um, see, seen a lot of stuff in SEO, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, been through some of the major algorithm changes, um, seen seen all of it to, to the point where an awful lot of myths and misconceptions have, have come up and some, th some of them still don't die. So um, I thought it was was, you know, I thought it'd be appropriate to uh, to cover these kind of things and and try and set the record straight on some of them once and for all. I mean, this is one of the reasons I tell people actually that we set up Search Norwich, which was to help businesses get a better understanding of SEO. So apart from having people in the SEO community sort of talking and and mixing and PPC people as well. The thing I've noticed, you know, being agency side for well over a decade now is even though I'm over a decade in, I'm still getting a lot of the time the same questions asked by businesses and seeing them making uh, the, the same kind of mistakes over and over. And, I, and, you know, it pains me to say in 2020, I still think that SEO, like, like you've said, is seen as some, some dark art. Do you think that's still the case? It, it comes up so often. It, it comes up so that some business owners will will come to you because they do not have time to look into their uh, their marketing full stop so they they want to outsource you know the whole thing uh part and parcel um but then some some of them do take interest in some of their marketing and then seem to have a you know a bit of a block and they just think oh it's 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 too technical for me oh it's oh no it's yeah you do weird things with google and in in actuality <laughs> it is a 
it's a marketing channel. If SEO is a dark art, then marketing arguably is, I mean, it kind of is, I suppose, marketing. There's an awful lot you need to learn about it. But SEO can be taught, can be learned. And I don't know if this does people out of a job, but it's, it's not as hard as it looks once you know what you're doing. Oh, that's controversial. <laughs> so it, in no, terms of that, I mean, so, so like historically, we've seen, um, I've seen, you know, really good cases. And this is, I guess, how a lot of kind of black hat st- stuff comes up, which is people testing uh, specific things that work in terms of SEO and, and getting uh, getting sites to rank. So they're, they're, you know, in terms of black hat, they're finding parts of the algorithm that they can exploit. Um, and I think, you know, it's the consensus within the SEO community taking Black Hat, for instance, that that's a lot harder nowadays because of the the way Google's algorithm as a whole and all the little algorithms that make up the rankings, how that works now, it makes that kind of approach a lot harder. And we often hear about um, SEOs who are, quote unquote, chasing the algorithm and how that's a bad thing to do. Do you want to give us your take on that and, and what it what, what does it mean when someone says, you know, you shouldn't be chasing the algorithm and, and why shouldn't we do it? Well, I was thinking about this, obviously, for the for the talk and I was thinking, is there ever been a time in my career where I have chased the algorithm? I the, the times I can think of were quite a while ago, the, the advent of Panda and Penguin initially, when um you know a lot of the industry still hadn't got with the program that there are webmaster guidelines for a reason you know we 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 all had a a massive shock then so there was there was an element of having to really react to an algorithm change then and then the other one possibly the medic update in 2018 but even even then there's I, I always say say to my my clients we you know we've set a strategy for a reason it's all in line with SEO best practice sometimes you might need to change your tactics because the competition is doing something dodgy so you need to dial up a more um more dial up the activity on on the white hat side of things to combat the black hat kind of thing the com- competition is doing um but otherwise it's i i always recommend just keep keeping on um I'm not. I, I've not been involved in black hat for. I, there was a, you know, there was a grey hat period when it when everyone was doing it. But you know, isn't the de- isn't the definition of grey hat though just the black hat stuff you don't think you're going to get caught for? <laughs> oh, indeed. And I mean, but that was you know before possibly before the guest blogging update in uh, 2014. I, that that's when I started. I was like, no, I'm I'm a hundred percent white hat now. So I'm not the person to ask about black hat tactics. But I I do know that white hat white hat seo does tend to work in the long term yeah i think i think you know that's now hopefully a fairly well accepted fact i mean i've I've seen there are still things that you can do to um you know trick google if you like but as you say those are uh, i think there's definitely a shelf life on those things because yeah. we're basically playing the kind of technological gap between Google not being able to work out what we're doing and that's ever closing and you know it's just sitting on the train tracks because you will get caught at some point um so all the white hat stuff you know like you say it's longer term um but you know it's gonna it's gonna be there it's like an investment basically rather than a, a trick to get you to rank so your presentation you put together I've just picked out because there was a lot in there, I just picked out a few of the kind of myths and misconceptions uh, that you'd listed. And I've got some favorites that I wanted to to go through with you. 
Um, you can help me grind my axe here. Uh, so, I mean, one of the first ones you had on your presentation was actually about fresh content. So this is something that we see repeated uh, you know, throughout the industry, which is, oh, we're doing SEO. Therefore, you need to, you know, Google likes fresh content. So you should do, you know, so many posts uh, a week. So we see this advice all the time. What, what's your kind of, like, how would you explain that um, as, a, as a myth to, to potential clients? Um, well, the, the first thing I would say is the content, it can be as fresh and as, it can be as fresh as you like but it has to have, it has to be good. It has to have quality. Um, and, and the idea of selling, you know, you know, packages of blog posts as if it's, uh, it's SEO is, uh, it's, it's, it's just not the right thing. It's a misunderstanding. I've, um, I will, I've had cases where I put together an extremely detailed, and nuanced SEO strategy with you know all the things you need to do across technical content and link building, and people have zeroed in and gone. But what about the blog? Aren't we supposed to be doing the blog? How many posts you could do? How many words do they have to be? And it's like, well, we we can do that if the keyword research tells us we need to do that. If if the competition aren't doing it properly, if the, if there's a if there's a place for it in the strategy, but nine times out of ten, it's it's just Oh, we, we we need to do this because this is what we've heard SEO is, and 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 that's not the case. And I, I think maybe even in terms of specific verticals. Um, so to give you an example, like to take an extreme example, like obviously news websites, like freshness is important in that specific case, I guess, because news is by definition something that's new. But you know, if you've got say like a research based site with with papers on it and stuff, like the freshness of those papers is is really almost completely insignificant right because it doesn't yep. matter if it was written one one week ago or two years ago because the paper is the paper and the date is the yep. date right and and they have editorial guidelines you know j journalism has quality there is quality control you know depending on your views but you know there is quality control on those kind of publications it's not just the freshness of it that is causing those kind of articles to rank and and that's you know I if 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 somebody had their heart set on a blog strategy because they genuinely thought it was going to help their business, sure. But you need to focus on the quality as much as the quantity. So I'll I'll bring this up now while we're talking about SEO context to producing content. And so we, you've said before about you know SEO being a little bit more straightforward maybe than some people say, and we've talked about not. Um, we talked about kind of quality of content in terms of SEO. Does the job SEO copywriter exist or not? <laughs> well, um, it, it, should, should it do? Um, no, I, th I think a, a copywriter these days, I would say, needs to have SEO skills. But the, the SEO, the role of SEO copywriter from, from way back when was you know, the people you'd look for would be people who can churn out an awful lot of content quite quickly. And going back to the subject of quality, it wasn't always there. We had a good however many years of, of just churning out stuff and, and flooding the internet with it. Um, there are some excellent copywriters who are working in the SEO industry, um, but I do think the title SEO copywriter sort of limits people. And I, yeah. I wouldn't hire somebody with that job title. 
it is interesting i I mean for me as you say you know there are you know writing good content copywriters are really important um and having some SEO understanding is important um and it's just something i've seen crop up with this kind of advice uh that that job title uh seems to surface quite a lot while while we're on um content as well um we hear now i think more than we have done in the past about how link building is dead. And I'm sure anyone now working in outreach or link building is just rolling their eyes like, oh, not again. Um, and a lot of the link building, you know, I've seen it's definitely in fashion over the last few years, basically for link building slash outreach, it, it seems to be like 90% like digital PR. How much, you know, what what are your thoughts on on link building now? Is link building dead? And is digital PR the route people should be taking? I, it, link building is definitely not dead. Um, and digital PR can be extremely powerful and and draw an awful lot of attention to a brand and amplify that brand and, and, and have a positive impact on SEO if there is other SEO activity going on. So um, in the context of the, the pre- presentation I was going to give, my advice was really don't try not to put all your eggs in one basket with digital PR. It's not necessarily going to be the silver bullet you expect it to be. Um, it, it can definitely help as part of a well-rounded SEO strategy. Um, but there's plenty of things that you can be doing or an S- your SEO agency or partner could be doing to acquire links to um, your website that, that don't involve going out to journalists and, and having a huge hero piece of content. An awful lot of the, the links that link builders will be building in the background are the ones that, that are a bit more traditional SEO kind of um prospecting for links in an old school way so still link lists resource lists um areas of the web where you you definitely should be referenced if your if your brand is in a certain industry um the 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 main one that you you see all the time when you pick up a new client there's there's often going to be unlinked mentions or uh broken links because of 404s Um, and all of that is kind of housekeeping at the start of a a campaign but you'd be surprised how much that I guess you won't be surprised how much that comes up comes up a lot um the look into who's linking to your competitors if uh, if there's sites that link to two or more of your competitors there's a much better chance of you obtaining a link in terms of those those couple of things you mentioned there two things I think would be quite interesting just to go into slightly more detail there um for for people that maybe haven't done these uh things before which is uh unlinked mentions Um, and we'll we'll touch back on link reclamation so do you would you could you explain just very quickly you know what are unlinked mentions how do you find them and how do you go about making them link mentions so unlinked mentions are are sort of what they say they are they are references to your brand name on the web that do not link back to your website and sometimes that will occur because uh, say your your brand is referenced in a newspaper uh, or an online newspaper and they, and they have a policy of not linking out those kind of unlinked mentions you probably don't want to chase but when when there are mentions of your brand across the web and it makes sense for the site that's featuring you to link out to you that's a great opportunity to get in touch with them to say you notice you you mentioned us perhaps there was a piece of joint PR with them at some point or um, you've exhibited at um an event or some kind of real world business relationship tends to result in an unlinked mention. And that, that gives you the chance to pick up the phone and try and convert that to a link. 
Uh, and you also asked how how do you find them? Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say how how would how would someone go about finding unlinked mentions? So there are a few few tools out there that will help you um, speed the process up. But generally, I I will typically use Google. I'll typically do a site um, using the the operator site colon in um, Google search. I will not site. Yeah, there it is. You um you can find them in Google. You do a search for your brand in quotation marks and minus any uh, reference to your brand from your website. So minus site colon enter website here. So that, it stops your own website appearing <laughs> for your own brand, which would presumably appear quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that clears up any uh, any self referencing mentions of yourself, and then you can depending on how well known your brand is you you'd be able to scrape those results using uh, the scraper chrome extension or there are other chrome extensions that will help you get that data into a spreadsheet then run that list of links through screaming frog and filter out uh, you, you want to then do a custom search for your uh, your domain your root domain uh, look at what contains your root domain and what does not contain your root domain the data that does not contain your root domain will be your unlinked mentions and then manually go through that and 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 see which ones are appropriate i hope i've explained you, right. yeah yeah that was very clear you you mentioned earlier as well when you find these you said to pick up the phone is that actually the the approach you you take off the bat you don't email you you try and ring first or it depends on the so i was talking about a, a a situation where there might be a real world business relationship and there has been some joint okay. PR or some joint content in the part. Depending on who owns the relationship with the link prospect, sometimes it will be more appropriate to pick up the phone. Um, most of the time, we, you know, SEOs don't tend to pick up the phone. We, <laughs> in my experience, you have SEOs who no, right, right, hide behind the uh, the screen and PRs who love to pick up the phone. But um, I mean, that's that's another way to to get in front of the competition really if if most seos aren't picking up the phone then that's that's one way to uh, get get out in front the other thing you mentioned there which um i don't think you even gave it justice for sort of what a technique it is that i think a lot of people just look straight over was where you are finding websites that link to um, multiple sites that belong to your competitors. So if you've got, you know, 10 competitors, for instance, if you can find websites that link to three, four, five of them that don't link to you, mm. that's, you know, a very well-qualified, huge opportunity, or at least very interesting to see, hey, where are they being mentioned that I'm not? Yeah. Um, how do you go about finding those? Is there a particular tool you use to do that? Well, I think the reason I glossed over it is because there is a tool that makes makes light work of that, a couple of tools. The main one is Ahrefs Link Intersect, which will pull the link profiles of whichever competitors you mention and then will exclude any sites that do currently link to you. And it spits out very quickly a, a list of link prospects for you to look at. Um, Majestic has Cleek Hunter. I think uh, Link Intersect's a bit more user-friendly. Um, and then also you can you can manually do it as well if you're so inclined yeah. pull all your link profiles and mash them in screaming frogs somehow but ahrefs is probably <laughs> where i'd start i like how you've been really fair though and given ahrefs and majestic a mention <laughs> cool uh 
so what else did we have in here? So you've actually got in your uh, in your presentation deck uh, something that relates to a question I normally ask everyone I interview for SEO roles, which I quite liked, which was uh, you had a slide here saying uh, it's a myth that social media has a direct impact on SEO. Now, this is so if you ever interviewed me for an SEO role, this is probably a question I'll ask, which is, do you think social media uh, like links have a direct impact on site ranking? Uh, and to be honest, like, you know, I've got strong opinions on this, but I don't I don't mind what people really answer as long as they have a good kind of logical thought process and explanation behind that. Yeah. So you've you've kind of labelled this here as, as as a myth. Do you want to talk to us about that? Because I think that is a really widespread myth that you know getting links even on stuff like Facebook is is going to help me rank. Yeah. So back back to the idea of unlinked mentions. There is nuance here because of the changes in rules uh, to no follow links. So I reserve my right to change this opinion at some point. But in my experience, um, obtaining links on social media. It, it's just the same impact as, as getting an unlinked mention. You'll have, uh, there are different schools of thought on this, and some SEO uh, providers will swear blind that unlinked mentions and no-follow links will uh, are having a direct, a direct impact on your SEO. But I, I have not seen that be the case. They can be in, they they can give an indirect uplift to your SEO and as much as your, your brand may become more well-known through going viral on social media. And so that means it goes it gets put in front of more people and in theory it will be put in front of more people that have the ability to link out to you with a followed link from a, from a, you know, an actual website. But otherwise, I, I think it's a red herring. I would be wary of anyone saying this, this has a direct impact on your SEO. Yeah, you certainly. I mean, I wouldn't feel comfortable if that was like the the basis, the primary basis of like link acquisition or link building. Um, that yeah, that would make that would make me very nervous. Um, the other myth you've got here is one we actually so we actually did a whole episode about this. We did a whole episode about uh, different types of penalty in Google that you could get because we we're trying to clear up this. A misconception about sometimes when there's an algorithm update and your competitors increase in ranking and you go down, people think they've got a penalty. So we talk through the different types of penalty. And it's, I think it's kind of slightly less now over the last few years, but I'd still do hear it. And we get it, we get lots of questions about it, which is uh, customers, clients being worried about a duplicate content penalty. So do you want to talk us through your, your thoughts on, on duplicate content and penalties and and what's true and what's not yeah so i was actually when i was looking into this i i found that there was an article from google from 2008 so the, the length of time i've been in the industry um that basically said that there, there are there is no duplicate content penalty back in 2008 and that that has remained the case even through panda when the, the the school of thought was that we, we were all being penalised for having duplicate content. Actually, it was about thinness and quality of content. Um, but yeah, the, the myth still prevails. The it's not um, a, a manual. So a penalty is a manual action. If you've received an actual penalty from from Google, that you will receive a message in your search console. I haven't seen one of these for for a long time. 
Um, not not at all. So um, the thing about duplicate content, you do want to minimize the amount of duplicate content that you serve to search engines because there is a risk that um, a, the, the duplicate page or the, a page that is thinner than the page that you want to rank, the one that you would make canonical, there is a risk that that page can outrank it and cause your preferred content to be ignored. Um, the, the other thing, and this is m most frequent with uh, e-commerce sites or large travel sites or something, um, you if if there are a huge use of parameters or um, filters or pagination, that if you if you you are allowing all of that thin content to be served to search engines, then that can take up a lot of what's known as crawl budget. Um, now Google will say, you know, don't don't worry too much about crawl budget. Um, but there are def if you if you analyze your or if your SEO partner analyzes your server logs, you'll be able to see this this thin content being crawled, and sometimes the content that you want to rank being ignored. So that that's why duplicate content is still a major thing in SEO. We pay an awful lot of attention to it, but um, you you're unlikely to have been penalised if if you um, see a, a change in your visibility and you're convinced it's to do with your content, it's more likely that the algorithm has identified higher quality answers to the queries your site is supposed to be targeting. I think that's really interesting because we've got probably two camps of people when we say duplicate content. So from an SEO point of view, people working in that industry, maybe web developers, there is that thought about the website internally cannibalizing itself over very similar or identical pages like you mentioned when we come to things like filtering faster navigation uh, reordering lists on e-com sites that kind of thing um, and then there's the i've had queries from clients who are literally just thinking about stuff like oh you know we saw a competitor has just copied one of our articles over we're really worried that you know Google's going to give us a penalty for, for like copying content because it exists in two places at once. And I think that's, you know, like you said, it's important to understand, you know, that's that kind of thing, you know, especially in tiny cases like that isn't going to trigger any kind of penalty at, at, you know, at worst, worst thing you can probably expect is, you know, Google will probably filter one of those results in that yeah. it will only show one. Um, and if you're unlucky, you know, it can be sometimes the person that's copied it. Um, and I think we mentioned before as well, there are other routes to deal with that, like the Digital Millennium copyright uh, requests you can send. Uh, Google seem to action those quite quickly if people are, you know, nicking content. Um, and actually, I, I don't know if you saw this. I, I almost missed this. It was a few weeks ago now. Uh, Google said if there are multiple upheld DMCA uh, takedown requests against the site, they'll take that into consideration algorithmically. I don't know if you you saw that when it was announced, but I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, and then that led to a discussion about whether that's going to cause like a, a black market almost, for, well, not a black market, people literally blackmailing people about DMCA requests. Um, there we go. Another, another sub-economy in the SEO world. Uh, so we talked about uh, duplicate content penalties. I really want to talk for the last sort of five, 10 minutes about audits. So we had uh, a lady Solis on a few episodes ago who just blew our minds with this huge uh, like whole episode about how to um, produce actionable sort of valuable audits. And one of the points that really interested me in uh, your presentation deck was basically saying, look, you know, 
audits don't need to be massively uh you know long and have hundreds and hundreds of points because that's not where the value is do you want to talk talk through that because you know i've got strong opinions on different types of audits i'd love to hear your your thoughts on 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 site audits and and myths and misconceptions sure so i've i've seen i've certainly seen some of the content that a lady's been putting out about tech audits and and all of that stuff although it sounds like it's contradicting what i'm saying i actually have a lot of time for because it's designed to surface the things that are actually going to move the needle there's a lot of stuff in there about strategy and and doing the right thing at the right time um the kind of massive tech audits that i'm ever be in my bonnet about are the, are the ones that contain um you know, information on you have a thousand d- meta descriptions that are too long. You have too many H twos. You you have think things that get, let's let's be real. They that those are incorrect from it from an SEO standpoint. And if we had unlimited time and resource, it, in an ideal situation, yes, of course we'd we'd address them. But there's often I I I've pulled this number out the out the air, but I would say that. 80% of technical improvements will come from 20% of the issues that could be at play. Um, um, I, I also want to say, before before I go through the ones that I think are going to be the, the most important, uh, I do massive tech audits all the time. So it's sometimes if, if it's a huge site with lots of things that could go wrong, it would be naive to say, oh, we, d- we don't need to, to check everything. But say... Um, you know, if it's a smaller site, not you know, not hundreds of thousands or, or millions of pages, you you can you can focus your attention a lot better than you know. Don't think you need to do a, a two hundred point technical audit to improve your SEO. You can you can do that iteratively. I think actually Elena was kind enough to use a, a very beautiful graph I hand drew, <laughs> which was showing this relationship. I think you're describing, which is that sometimes the larger the site you have. Uh, the more important some otherwise unimportant technical issues can be because they scale. So the the problem scales that, you know, if you've got a hundred page site and there's some inefficiencies, it's it's kind of, you know, it it's not going to make a huge difference if you fix it. If you've got half a million pages uh, and then problems can really start getting out of hand and, and having a big impact. So do you want to take us through what you, what you think are the kind of the, the things that normally move the needle that you look for? Yeah. So um, I, t- I try to try to keep it brief. Um, there there will be nuance in every single SEO situation, but generally, the the thing things I come across that that are causing a massive issue technically are canonicals. So whether they are incorrect or whether they're not in place, um, that's the duplicate content thing. You you need to make sure that you you mitigate against any uh, duplicate content issues there may be. Href lang not being implemented correctly. Um, I've had big success with sorting that out. On it's, it's surprising how how often that is uh, not implemented correctly. Uh, poor internal linking structure, or um, and and if you have a poor internal linking structure, no way of mitigating that through your XML sitemap. So XML sitemaps not containing the URLs you want to serve to search engines. Um, some people will say XML sitemaps are not required i i don't agree and i especially don't agree because because nine times out of ten those are the kind of sites that some people will say oh if the navigation is fine and all of the pages can be discovered then an xml sitemap isn't 
isn't necessary but the, the, honestly when does that happen xml sitemaps very important for that reason um redirect many things relating to redirects so redirect chains um older versions of sites not uh, urls not being redirected to their most up-to-date counterpart um so a loss of link equity um despite the um there are assertions that um uh, 301 redirects pass 100% of link equity now. So what's the what's the problem? Well, uh, firstly, the, the number of redirects that uh, that a that a bot needs to go through or a server needs to to check slows down the page load time. So it's a site speed issue. But also, the, there's evidence that um, a redirect doesn't actually pass 100% link equity. It's it's not. It, it doesn't ha always happen. I think there's um. They said there is like a hard limit pretty much on what Googlebot's going to follow of, I think, five chained redirects as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know that sounds like a lot, but you these things can stack up really quickly. So if you leave uh, even two redirects, for instance, so A to B, B to C live, when you don't realize that's stacked upon someone trying to access an insecure URL or one without a trailing slash and there's already rules, you're immediately up to four redirects then. Yeah. And you're in danger of just kind of, like you say, killing off the crawl. So I think, yeah, that's that's really important. Yeah. Um, a few, few others. So uh, index bloat, this is with the, the bigger sites. This is with your e-commerce and, and big big travel sites or um, marketplace sites. Um, that's that's typically one of the, the major issues. You're just serving, you're allowing your thin content to, to be served to search engines. Need to, need to do something about that to, to ensure that the right pages are indexed and crawled, indexed and ranked. Um, issues with your robots.txt file. Sometimes the, the most extreme is that the, the site could be blocked using that you know that's always that that facepalm moment many people like to share that on twitter when they find one of their clients um but no it happens a lot it, it really does so we i actually had someone uh email me two weeks ago uh saying they were looking for a new seo partner and they sent me the site and i had a look at it and i was quite confused because the whole site was indexed and when i looked at the robots.txt it was blocking everything and uh, I emailed them back and just said, look, I've just to mention this, it looks like your robots.txt is blocking everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it turned out actually they'd put a new site live the day before. Um, so <laughs> I, I sort of rechecked it three or four times. So I was confused as to why everything was, you know, indexed and, and ranking properly. But yeah, it it 100% still happens where whole sites get blocked. Yeah, you caught it early. That's the main thing. And they weren't even a client. Didn't even get to send an invoice. <laughs> so you think you've got a couple more, a couple more things, yeah, haven't you? Got um, this. This one's gonna, I think, you know, scare me here because you, you've got stuff about JavaScript rendering here. <laughs> yeah, and that's not something we can really do justice to in in five minutes. But um, the the things I want, and in fact, I I, I had to shave some of this out of the deck i did want to talk about javascript in in more detail um but essentially there's there's two uh, two myths attached to this one is that um javascript is bad for seo and one is that javascript isn't a problem for seo anymore google google can uh, read javascript now what's your problem um so both are incorrect trying to summarize this quickly you if whenever you possibly can you would you need to serve your content um, 
and resources server side or find a way of hydrating the content um, so that it doesn't render client side. Um, there's plenty of resources out there that, that will do this point more justice than I can in, in this time. Um, there's a great series from uh, Google, from Martin Split, where he, he goes into the detail uh, around all of this. So I would, I would point, if you're interested in the side of things, I'd, I'd direct you there. Um, and Jamie Alberico, every time I see her talk, she she blows my mind. She she knows this <laughs> right out. So, um, but yeah, I'll put links to both of these in the in the show notes, so yes. so listeners can get them. And then lastly, site speed. Um, and you, I, I tend to have I don't know weird weird disagreements with developers on this, as if site speed isn't going to be an improvement for everyone. It's not just SEO that is trying to drive improvements in site speed. It is a it's a UX issue, and it should be a should be a development issue. Every, everyone in an organisation, I, I would I don't understand why people wouldn't want to. I mean, it will be a resource thing more often than not. Um, but site speed, all other things being equal, if your site speed is better than a competitor, your your site should should start to rank better or other things being equal they they rarely are but it's yeah it's it, it can often be something that you can uh, you can uh, address quite quickly so i think it's interesting as as you know i didn't think uh when i saw this you were going to be uh disagreeing with the lady i thought it was interesting from an outside point of view they seemed contradictory those viewpoints but what i'd add in is um i've always uh, been quite vocal on the kind of automated SEO audits that come yeah. about, you know, when people offer free audits, because the 80% of those audits will be the things you mentioned that are things like, you know, there's too many links on a page, there's a low text to HTML ratio, you know, this meta description slightly too short, things that, as you say, if you had infinite resource, you would like to get to, but they're not going to move the needle. And actually it's possible, like you said, even with the eight things you've mentioned, um, it can take quite a while to get to the bottom of these. So we were working on an e-commerce site, you know, just last week where it had had a very interesting issue when you're trying to view all the products. It was sending you to a different page if you didn't have JavaScript on, but that link was no followed. And then the view all page canonical back to a filtered page. So it was a real thing to untie. So I totally get your point in saying that, you know, while there's this, short fairly short list of things that will provide most of the value they're by no means like checkbox exercises right they and they can't be caught by automated audits you generally need someone you know like yourself to sit down understand what they are and understand how they're affecting uh that that particular business in context of their website yeah your uh, what you say about automated audits they in in the right hands they they can be a, a a nice starting point but in the wrong hands you know it's it's you you just don't want to uh I'm, the idea of this talk was to stop people from going down the rabbit hole on things that weren't going to help or, or you know following red herrings where you know we you can you can fix these things a lot quicker if you uh, if you cut out the, the noise so on that, I mean, we've 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 already had almost forty minutes here. This has been absolutely brilliant, Natalie. Have you got any leaving general advice for like business owners or web developers to avoid the kind of traps, myths, misconceptions of SEO? I would say, if you have time, try and read around the subject and 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 just try and offer. You know, don't take recommendations as read if you 
if you have suspicion about them. Um, I, if if you trust your SEO partner, then then trust them. Um, you know, that, that I'm not saying that that everyone should be uh, <laughs> everyone should have their work checked. <laughs> but the um, yeah, just don't cast a critical eye every every so often on on the work that that's being done and uh i think that's actually the so i have a a talk i've given i think twice now which is aimed specifically at developers talking about technical seo stuff that usually gets missed and i opened that by um apologizing to developers firstly for uh sometimes some of the advice that they'll get from (laughs) from seos because you know, as it's a big industry and sometimes bad advice is given. And my advice exactly the same as you're giving there, Natalie, is, uh, you know, if you feel like something is wrong, um, you know, or it's going to have a negative impact on the user, then, yeah, do absolutely keep questioning it uh, because, you know, they're the experts as well in what they do. And I think, you know, good developers need good SEOs and good SEOs need good developers and, you know, trying to work together to get the best, you know, end product. So, absolutely agree with that thank you so much for joining me uh today natalie i really appreciate it thank you thank you very much uh, we are going to be back in one week's time which will be monday the 23rd of march uh you can get the transcription from this episode as well as the slides we've been referring to at our show notes the show notes are at search.withcanda.co.uk I'll also include some links to some of the tools and resources Natalie has mentioned, so you can get them there. If you have enjoyed this episode and you're listening online, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much everywhere we found that we could put the podcast, so I'd love it if you did that. Otherwise, I hope you all have a great week, and I will speak to you again on the 23rd of March.